0: Glad that you guys are here with us. Happy Easter. We are so excited that you are here. Uh, We had our eight o'clock outdoor service, had about 200 people show up for that. So we filled up the bottom layer of our parking lot and it has just been a wonderful, wonderful day. I hope you had the opportunity to uh, to be a part of the breakfast and for the team that put that together. Just overall, it has been a wonderful day to be here at Willow Ridge Church and to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. Uh, If you're a guest with us this this morning. Uh, maybe your family that came with some family members, maybe you were friends from work, friends from the neighborhood, or maybe you were driving somewhere today and said, You know what? I need to be at church. Why don't I stop off right here? We we don't care your reason for being here. We're just glad that you're here this morning. We're glad that you're here to worship Jesus Christ with us as well. And if you wouldn't mind for all of our guests, you'll see we got this card. If you'll fill that out, there's a couple other ways on here that you can connect with us. And at the end of the service, my wife and I will be right back here to my left at this welcome table. We'd love to talk to you, but if you've got somewhere to be, we understand that, and you can just drop it off in the baskets as you leave. And then also, you'll notice on the seats around you guys, uh, we are going to be wrapping up a a study that we've been doing in 1 Corinthians this morning, and we're going to spend five weeks in the book of Ruth, and we would love for you to join us. Now, some feedback we got from 1 Corinthians from a lot of people were that you enjoyed reading and being a part of the study and doing that with us, and so this is my teaching calendar that I'm going to use for the book of Ruth, and so if you want to read with me, I'll encourage you, read the whole thing this week, and we'll come back next Sunday and dive back into that for our introduction for Ruth. And then last, and definitely not least, we'll be taking, our, taking the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and so if you did not grab one of these as you came in, you can slide right back here to the exit, and there are some that are right there. We would love for you to have this and be able to partake in this with us this morning morning. Well, today is the day that we get to celebrate the greatest moment in history. That's an event that is tried to be defined by different people based off of their opinions of what is the greatest event. And I would argue for us as believers that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is by far the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And today we gather here and we'll gather up for others in churches all over South Carolina, all over the United States, all over the world. Believers will join together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive we'll celebrate the reason we have hope, the reason we have life, the reason our lives have meaning, and our lives have purpose. Today, we simply do not celebrate just the fact that Jesus died, but we celebrate the miracle that Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected. Today, we woke up with the remor- this morning, with the reminder of hope. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in just a moment, we'll get there. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about hope. We had our outdoor service this morning. And I don't know about you guys, because you guys came to this service, and it's, it, it's indoors, and if it rains, we're okay. If it's cold, we're okay. But for the outdoor service, if it rains, we're gonna struggle. I mean, if it's cold, we're gonna struggle. If it rains, we're in bad shape, all right? And so last night, let's just say, it was not a good night of sleep for me. Woke up continually checking my app, wanted to make sure on my weather app of percentages. When I went to bed last night, I believe the weather app said 30%. And I prayed, Lord, don't give us any rain. And woke up this morning at 5%. God, we'll run with that, all right? We can do that. And then it began to hit me. The hope that we have this Sunday of what we celebrate for everything that we focus in on, for everything that we talk about, for every Sunday, for every Bible study, for every prayer time, rest and is centered on what we're here to proclaim, to sing about, and to talk about today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. But there's a stark contrast for us this morning and for the disciples that first Easter morning. And so while we're gonna look at not necessarily a traditional Easter Sunday passage in 1 Corinthians 15, I do want us to look at the traditional historical account of the days leading up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that morning. You see, Jesus during much of his earthly ministry had told his disciples the events that would unfold, the events that would happen and that would take place. Jesus let them know that he would die, that he would be buried and that he would rise again. And I don't know whether it was from a lack of faith or a lack of understanding, but those early followers of Christ Woke up that first Easter morning, not with hope, but devastated, defeated, and afraid. Throughout that week and the days leading up, they'd been on a roller coaster ride emotionally with Jesus. To have entered into the city one day as the crowd shouted, Hosanna to next to be with him in the garden and to watch Jesus being betrayed by one of their own, by Judas, for a few pieces of silver and with a kiss. Arrested as a common criminal by a band of Roman soldiers. Their leader who they'd given everything to follow They had walked away from their careers, from their pursuits, from their savings. The leader that they had entrusted their lives with was now taken from them. And what are they to do? The events that would unfold, some saw, most heard about. This is what would happen to Jesus over the next 12 hours. He would be brought in and after his arrest, and would be imprisoned. During that imprisonment, they would begin the physical, mental, and emotional abuse on him. And he was forced to stand before a group of Jewish leaders who longed for his execution. They would then bring him to stand trial before Pilate, who while he found no guilt in Jesus, sent Jesus to stand trial before Herod Antipas. And when Jesus refused to answer Herod's questions, he sent Jesus back to Pilate as there was no guilt that could be found in Jesus. And Pilate wanted to release Jesus. But the Jewish leaders refused, so Pilate had Jesus tortured and beaten in hopes that seeing this happen to Christ would appease the crowds, would satisfy the anger that was in their hearts, but that would not be the case. And instead, the crowd demanded that Jesus be crucified. And so an order of execution was placed on Christ. Jesus would be again led away, where he would be beaten repeatedly over and over again, where he would be mocked, and a crown of thorns would be forced onto his head. The torture of Jesus lasted for about nine hours to where he would then be forced to carry his cross The instrument by which he would be executed. He carried it on the journey up a mountain to a location where he would then be nailed to it and hung between two thieves. And there he would die. His body would be taken down and buried. In a borrowed tomb, because there was no tomb for Jesus. I'm gonna use the phrase perceived reality. This was the perceived reality of the followers of Jesus. Friday he dies, Saturday he's dead, and then comes Sunday. But for us, it's not, and then come Sunday. But we know, but then there was Sunday. A group of ladies go out to to the tomb to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And on the way there, one of the ladies says to the group, there's a stone at the front. How are we gonna roll it away? And when they got there, they noticed the stone was rolled away. And the Bible tells us instead of finding the dead body of Jesus, they found a young man dressed in a white robe who told them Jesus has risen and to go and tell the disciples. Jesus would later appear to the disciples and would later appear to others, and 40 days later would ascend into heaven. And today is the day we celebrate, not just the wonderful, brilliant, miraculous truth that Christ died for us, but that he lives. And because he lives, we live too. Now Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth. And if you've been on this journey with us as we've gone through this book, you, you know Paul's love for them and trying to guide and direct them, to point them to a truth of who Christ is and the impact for, for their life and what this means. And there were some in the church at Corinth who believed to be resurrected from the dead was impossible. And so on the surface, this is the question that that Paul is, is seeking to attack. But the greater truth for them and the greater truth for us is that because Jesus is resurrected, that we find life in him. We find hope in him. We find meaning in him. And everything, everything that we stand on is centered in the truth of today. That Jesus Christ is alive. So if you join me, let's start reading verse fifteen, uh, chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... What Paul does in this passage of scripture is he says to him repeatedly, if you believe there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been resurrected. And if this is true, then here's negatively what this means for you. But then he finishes it with the, with the reminder, but in fact, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at one argument that Paul says, if you believe that there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus is dead, then this is true about you. And then to look at the counter truth of that, of the gospel, of what the gospel says because he is alive. So so let's, let's look at these. The first thing Paul points out is, if Jesus is dead, then our words are lies. Look back at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. If Christ is dead, then the truth that you and I proclaim is not truth at all. If Christ is dead, then all of this is a lie. Every moment leading up to scripture in this point, as prophecy continually is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, if Jesus is still dead, then folks, what we find in this book are rare coincidences impossible to explain. If Jesus is dead, God's standard for us is not to be trusted. His plan for us is not to be followed and his plan for this world is not to be pursued if Christ is dead. But the truth that we have is Jesus is alive. And since Jesus is alive, our words are true. And the beauty of God's word is this. These words are not true for some. These words are true for all. It's the message for all of humanity. It's the message for all of mankind. The gospel of Jesus Christ stretches across language barriers, culture barriers, socioeconomic barriers, barriers of time, barriers of tradition. It crosses all of those because these words ring true. They ring true for men. They ring true for women. They ring true for kids. The words of Jesus Christ are true. We can know this because Jesus is alive these words stand independent and stand on their own, independent of our opinions and independent of our feelings. And while for years they may be argued against, the word of God cannot be defeated. And how do we know this? Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive. Paul continues on And he says, if Jesus is dead, then our faith is worthless. Look back at verse 14, the entirety of it. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Faith in Jesus is faith in the living Messiah. Most religions acknowledge the person of Jesus, to an extent. Most people, if they want to be historically accurate and honest with themselves, will have to admit that he was a real person. But faith in Jesus is more than acknowledging things of a person. Faith in Jesus is faith in the living Messiah. Was Jesus a great man? Yes. Yes. But being a great man is not worthy of our faith. Was Jesus a great teacher and speaker? Absolutely. But he is, but being a great teacher or speaker isn't worthy of our faith. Is Jesus a great example of kindness and compassion, friendship, forgiveness, and love? Absolutely. But holding these characteristics does not make him worthy of our faith. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, there is no reason for you or I or anyone else to place our faith in him. But Jesus is alive. But Jesus is alive. So, it's not that our faith is worthless, but our faith is solidified because everything in this book is not coincidence. Everything in this book is true from Jesus' own mouth himself. He said he would die, and he did. He said he would come back from the dead, and he did. He said he would ascend, and he did. In church, he said he'll return again, and he will. We can't think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and not also think about the return of our Savior. A few weeks ago, we talked about that in here, living in this world and longing for Jesus. This past week, my family had a wonderful opportunity to get away from, for several days and go up to the mountains in North Carolina, and it was, it was beautiful. The temperature was perfect. It never got too hot. It never got too cold. It never got too windy. It never got too rainy. It was just perfect. The food was fantastic. Somebody said to me this morning, they said, you like you lost some weight this week. Two things are happening in that statement. Number one, either God worked a miracle in me, or two, they just lied to me, right? I'm gonna go with number two, right? And we'd stand out at the cabin that overlooked the lake And at the top of the lake, on the side of the lake that we could look out and see, just the handiwork of God's creation. The mountains and the trees. And watch the birds come flying through. And in that moment, I'm gonna be honest with you, it was easy to look at that and think about the beauty of the glory of God and his wonderful majesty that we painted. But then, when we got the reminder, when we got back, and we did things like cut on the news, and we did things like jump on social media, where you're reminded that even in the beauty of the landscape, of the mountains, and the water, there's still the brokenness of this world. And the deep, deep, longing as we celebrate that Jesus is alive for Christ to return. Paul continues on. He says, if Jesus is dead, then our sins, they cover us. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So if Jesus is dead, then our sins still cover us. That everything we've done, every sin that we've committed, every word that we've spoke, every action that we've done, every thought that we had, every every sinful motive of the heart, all of those still rest on you and on me. Every charge. If Jesus is still dead, then you and I are, are lost with no hope to be found. If Jesus is still dead, You are spiritually dead with no hope of life. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're enemies of God. And then that's who we are. But Jesus is alive, so our sins are forgiven. Because Jesus is alive, our sins are forgiven. Now, in in, in just a moment, we're we're, we're gonna sing a, a beautiful song, one of my favorites that we're gonna sing. And it's gonna talk to us about the blood of Jesus Christ and how it washes us and makes us clean. And it's one of the most miraculous pictures that God paints for us in scripture, is that as Jesus, bloody and beaten, hung on a cross and died, his blood was shed and his blood that covers us, that when we're found in him, it makes us clean, it makes us white as snow, that Jesus in what he did, he took our punishment, and through his blood we find the forgiveness of sins. So, if Jesus just died for us, isn't that enough for our punishment? Wouldn't just simply his death be enough? No. Paul tells us in Romans 4 that he was killed for our transgressions but raised for our justification and that in that our forgiveness is complete. So it wasn't just the punishment, but it was the justification of that, that we are no longer guilty, but we're made right to stand before him in life. And so we identify and die with him to ourself. And by the power of the work of the cross, we die. But just as Christ was raised to walk in life, you and I are raised to walk in the newness of life as well. And so in that, our forgiveness is not broken, but our forgiveness is complete because our sins are forgiven. Paul goes on and says, if Jesus is dead, then we will perish. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now, some of your translations, if you read them, you may have a different word than, than perish, but, but, but I like what, what this word here means for us in, in, in the original language in which Paul wrote it. Paul used the word perish here, and it carries with it a specific meaning. And it's beyond more than death. And it carries this, that not only do we die the physical death, but that in that we stand in the way of the impending wrath of God. And so if Jesus is dead, then we perish and we face not just physical death, but the full judgment of God that was poured out on Christ on our behalf because of who he is. But Jesus is alive, so after death comes life. Paul says to the church at Corinth, and God's word says to us today, Because of Christ, we live forever. Because of Christ, we live with God. Because of Christ, we enter into eternal joy. Because of Christ, our faith becomes our sight. Because because of Christ, we will get to live the way that Jesus does. It's imparted for us. Jesus not only takes on our punishment, but Jesus grants us his life. And then lastly, If Jesus is dead, then our lives are foolish. Our lives are foolish. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's understand this, church. If Christ is dead, every moment of obedience for him is for nothing, every sacrifice was wasted and all that we are doing now should be mocked if Jesus is dead. Our worship is not heard and our lives have no meaning. But because Jesus is alive, our lives have purpose. Right now, because Jesus is alive, in spite of what you want to be told or what you want to feel sometimes, your life is full. Your life is meaningful. Your life is valid and valuable. You are significant and purposeful because Jesus is alive and your faith is in him. Following the resurrection of Jesus, and he peered to the disciples in the events that would continue on. A group of people who once were hiding like cowards, afraid of what might be done to them because their association with Jesus found strength, found hope, found purpose. Not because they hid in a back room and developed a plan or a scheme. This group of followers found this power, not in themselves, but because Jesus is alive. I wanna ask you this question as we wrap up here in just a moment. Chances are you and I, because we came to church this morning, aren't going to leave from here and out of fear of persecution, fear of death, go hide in some back corner of our house. Go hunker down in a basement. Be afraid of what tomorrow will hold. You see, these followers of Jesus, when it became clear and evident to them that Jesus was alive, they lived in the boldness of the truth. And you and I, can stand here all day and read the words and sing the songs and give the phrases but are we living every single day with the truth that Jesus is alive would you pray with me Lord, we come to you this morning thanking you and celebrating who you are, Lord, and what you've done. We thank you for the hope of Christ. We thank you for his death. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. And because of that, Lord, we know truth. Because of that, Lord, we know hope. Because of that, we have purpose. Lord, I pray that it would not affect just a Sunday morning once a year. But the truth that Jesus is alive would penetrate every fiber of our being, every thought that we think, every motive that we have, every word that we say, every action that we do, based in the truth that Jesus is alive. In Him, we are alive as well, Lord. And as we enter into a time of worship, Lord, and as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, just ask that Your Spirit and speak to our hearts. We'd remember the body. Which was given for us, or that we remember the blood that was spilled. We remember the life that is found in Him, in Him alone. Lord, as you need to work in our hearts through the power of your Spirit, Lord, we we ask, Lord, in your kindness and your grace, Lord, that you do so we'll celebrate you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're not going to take the Lord's Supper quite yet. We're going to go into a time of worship and reflection. I'll come back out in a few minutes and lead us in that. But I do want to go over some things that we went over several weeks ago for, for us that call this place Home. Here's what I want everyone to know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether this is your church home or not, we invite you to take part in the Lord's Supper with us. This is not a denominational thing. This is a follower of Jesus thing. And we want to invite you to join us. As we go into worship together, we're going to ask that you stand and worship with us. And maybe during that time, ask that you spend some time leaning in on the Holy Spirit to evaluate your heart and your readiness to partake in this. Would ask that you check your heart through the leadance and guidance of the Holy Spirit for any unrepentant sin that you may have. If it's there, that you'd confess it to the Lord and ask in His power. To release it from you. Would also ask that you would evaluate independence of the Holy Spirit to evaluate your heart and your relationship with other believers. Ask yourself: Is there someone that you need to forgive before partaking in this? Is there bitterness in your heart? And if so, forgive them now. We think forgiveness is granted when people ask for it. But we want to freely forgive. So we ask that you work in forgiving. But on the other side of the coin, do you need to ask for forgiveness? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that there's a wedge between that you need to go to and do so in order to take this together. I'll close, we'll have some worship and then we'll partake in this together. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, may our words be sweet to your ears. Lord, search our hearts, convict us and draw us closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.